turn to our Bibles, going to read this evening in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8 and uh, page 1042. We'll read the first 21 verses of Luke chapter 8. We uh, take up our reading in the middle of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, the time when Jesus was traveling, was uh, healing was uh, preaching, doing many things. So Luke chapter 8 and from the first verse. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Husa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for those, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And bear fruit with patience. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. But puts it on a stand. So that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, 
even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But Jesus answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In a sense, that verse, verse 21, might be the text for tonight. So might be verse 18. Take care then how you hear. Although uh, the text I would particularly want us to look at is verse 15, where Jesus comes to the conclusion of the parable and he says, As for the seed in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And bear fruit with patience. This is all about Christian growth and maturity. And in one sense, there's no more obvious place to go, is there, than this parable. It's a parable all about growth. All about hearing the word of God. And doing what that word says. Let me say something that every single one of you and I need to hear this evening. I'll put it as plainly and strongly as I possibly can. Your eternal destiny and mine depends on how you hear the word of God and how you respond to it. Your future course of life And where you will spend eternity, says Jesus, hangs on your response to the very word of Christ, the word of the gospel. This is usually called the parable of the sower. It's perhaps more accurately termed the parable of the soils. Because the sower, in a sense, barely appears. And the seed is the same in every case. But the soils differ. Four of them. Four different kinds of soil responding in four different ways to the same seed that is scattered over these four soils. Four different kinds of people. Four different kinds of hearers of the same word of God, responding in four very different ways with different destinies. And here is the sobering reality, my friends, about this parable that Jesus himself told. Of the four soil types, only one reaches maturity. Of the four kinds of listeners to the word of Christ, of the four groups and four types of people, only one attains mature fruitfulness. And that should make every one of us sit up and listen with unusual, urgent attention. Let me use an illustration that, in a sense, could be based on our last hymn. Imagine you're on a ship at sea, 
the Titanic or something similar. And the ship is in great danger. It's a stricken vessel. And the captain comes along and he says, Passengers, the ship is sinking. And supposing in some way the captain could say this, Only a quarter of you on this ship, I know, will reach the safety of land alive. And it will be the quarter who listen to the instructions with careful attention. And three quarters of you are not going to make it. This parable is saying exactly that. And if you were on board this ship and a captain said that to you, would you not listen? Would you not listen and say, I'm all ears? We're not talking about a ship or a captain in some fictitious illustration. We're talking about reality, my friends. We're talking about life and death and heaven and hell and eternity and God and the Son of God and your soul and mine. As we come to this parable. And my assumption needs to be, uh, and every preacher needs to assume this, whenever we speak to anybody, there may well be people of all four types in the congregation, wherever that congregation might be. All four types. There might even be people here tonight of the first type. Mentioned in verse 12. They hear, their ears aren't blocked, the faculty of listening and hearing is, is there, but the devil comes. And he snatches that word away from their hearts so that they do not believe and are not saved. And maybe you're one of those tonight. When the preaching comes, when the sermon comes, you switch off. And it's in one ear and out of the other, straight away. It's immediately forgotten. It makes no impact on you at all. And you need to ask yourself, some of you maybe, am I in that first type? Are you listening? If you don't listen, if you don't listen to the word of God, then you are probably in that first group. And your soul is in eternal peril. I mean that. I mean that. If you don't listen to the word of God, your soul is in eternal danger. But I want this evening, because I think, and I trust, and I actually do believe, that you're here tonight, and we're here tonight because we want to look at God's Word, right? We really want to look at God's Word. But there are still three types to think about. Type two, the depthless. Type three, the distracted. And type four, the diligent. We had three Ds this morning, we've got three Ds this evening. So let's carry on. We've dealt with type one. Type two, the depthless. Best well I could find, begins with D as well, which, which helps. Verse 13, look at verse 13 of Luke chapter 8. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no roots, they believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. 
What do we say about people like this? It's not in one ear and out of the other. They're not miles away. There's no question about it. The word of God makes an impact on them. And we see that it's a, an observable impact. They, they receive the word with joy, says Jesus. There's an emotional impact. These people hear you talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they receive it with an emotional surge of some kind, it seems. There, there may be a great big grin on their face, or there may be tears in their eyes. There may be laughter, there may be sobbing. There's activity going on. There's a, there's a reaction, there's a response, there's something that is genuine there. The, the word has done something to these souls. And both Matthew and Mark, in their versions of this parable, they talk about the reaction taking place immediately. There is an immediate response, sudden. And then for some of us who might be looking at them, who, who, are, who by God's grace are believers, we may well think that this person has been wonderfully saved and converted and born again at that very moment. And we've been there. Maybe. I can remember being at an evangelistic Sunday evening service when I was a young Christian. I was, I suppose, about seven months old. I was a seven-month-old baby Christian. And I had a friend who was, I think, in the year below me at university, and I wanted to bring him along. And he came. And the minister preached a powerful evangelistic message with application. And this friend of mine was stirred. You could tell. And the minister gave an appeal at the end. And my friend got up and said, I'm going to talk to him now. I must go. I must be baptized. I've got to talk to him. And there I was, feeling as pleased as punch, thinking, I've made my first convert. Oh, thank you, Lord. He's a Christian now, this friend of mine. Let's call him Mike. He wasn't called Mike. That's why I say he's called Mike. He's no one that you know. I can't remember his name, but we'll call him Mike. And I remember chatting to him afterwards over tea and coffee, the way you do in the back. And there was I, seven-month-old Christian, sounding like the mature, seasoned pastor that I wasn't, a kind of proto-Calvinist, saying, uh, God meant this to happen all along, you know. He's been preparing this day for you from all eternity, knowing that now you would be saved here tonight. And this friend of mine saw the pastor the evening and made an appointment to see him a few days later. But he never did. I knocked on his door later that week. He'd forgotten about it. Pushed it away. Life. Student life. Student politics, I think had meant it really didn't come to anything. It was an emotional response. He had no real root. It was shallow. It was, it was emotions. There was something in the, in the air that night, and it, it seized him, but it was, it was temporary. It was hollow. A few days went by, and it came to nothing. 
Now, what I'm saying is this. What Jesus is saying is this. There are those who may hear the word and receive it with joy there and then and say, Oh, I've got to do something. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I've got to respond. Oh, I've got to be baptized. Oh, I want to become a Christian. But it's emotional and it's not spiritual. It's not the saving work of the Holy Spirit. They've been impressed by a message. But they may as well have been impressed by any old message. A Muslim message. A Buddhist message. A humanistic message. A new age message. A political message. A self-help message. They, they were just emotionally carried along by, by something that moved them. And like a plant that springs up in shallow soil, they wilt and wither when the sun gets a bit too hot for them. They go to church that night and they hear a message and they think, Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, I've got to do something. Oh, all these people. Oh, I really feel I've got to go and become a Christian now. Then they come home to their unbelieving family, their unbelieving friends. And they're surrounded by the same old world, the same old temptations, and it all falls flat. I'm sorry, these things happen, don't they? False starts. Young men and teenagers that I tried to lead to Christ in my early 20s, I I said to them, I think you want to become a Christian, don't you? Oh, yes. Pray the sinner's prayer with me. Say amen at the end. And these people, a few days later, there's been no change and there's no change and there's no change. No real change. These things happen. And these things are told to us by Jesus, you see. We ought not to be surprised by this. The depthless. There's no depth there. It's shallow. It's superficial. It's hollow. But then there's another type, you see. Type 3 Soil type 3, the distracted. Verse 14, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. I am convinced that these words describe many, many professing Christians in many churches today. And we need to pay very careful attention. And I'm not saying something that is only true of today, of our own generation. The fact that Jesus told this parable, which is recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, would confirm to us it has ever been thus that the depthless and the distracted and the diligent are found in every age of the church. But let's look most carefully at this group, this type, the distracted. And look at what Jesus says in verse 14. He does say in the middle of verse 14 that having heard, they go on their way. Do you see that there? They, they go on their way. Maybe for quite a long time they're, they're going along. They seem to be growing. They look as if they've got promise. People look at them and say, oh, so encouraging. They come 
to every gathering. They're, they're in church and their lives seem to be changed in some way. This is not the immediate, superficial, hollow, frothy kind of response that we thought about with type number two. Here is something that looks like it's got some growth, as with the plants that grow. The seeds give rise to a shoot and it comes up, and maybe for a few days or a few weeks, it's looking promising. But you aren't seeing that the thorns are coming up underneath it. And over time, that's what happens with these people. The thorns spring up. They wrap themselves around this tender plant. They overcome it. They begin to choke it. And what should be of particular concern to you and me tonight is this. What are the thorns that we've got to be aware of? Well, Jesus, first of all, mentions what he calls here cares. The word in Greek has the sense of something that it, it kind of takes over part of us. It, it distracts us. It, it preoccupies us. These are the, the concerns, the worries, the anxieties, the preoccupations, the distractions of life. They begin to act like thorns. And the obvious example of a distraction, although we don't think this became a thorn in this particular lady's case, but it's something of this type, is Martha, the sister of Mary. Because she is one who was distracted, who was anxious. You remember the account in Luke's Gospel. It's only in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. And there is Jesus in the home of Martha and Mary, Two sisters, and Lazarus, I presume, is somewhere but not mentioned in that passage. And Martha is busy in the kitchen. Well, we assume it's the kitchen. She's busy working on hospitality. And she's distracted, and she's looking around, and she's, she's bothered that lazy-bones old Mary isn't getting up off her bottom to come and help her with that work. She's sitting and listening to Jesus. And she even rebukes Jesus. Say, won't you tell my sister to help me? But Jesus, because he loves Martha, not because, not in spite of his love for Martha, he rebukes Martha and says, Martha, you are worried, preoccupied, concerned by far too much. Mary, who sat there listening to me, says Jesus, is doing what is better. Now let's just stop and think about it for a moment. It's all quite clear, actually. Jesus doesn't need Martha's hospitality. Even a tiny fraction of the amount that Martha needs to hear the words of Jesus. Martha, you don't need to worry when Jesus is around about any lack of food. Haven't you learned that yet? Jesus is going to feed you, Martha, in more ways than you realize. No one's going to go hungry when he's around. Your sister's chosen what's right. Why, when you have the Son of God in your front room, 
Are you not sitting listening to his voice avidly? That's what you need to be doing. You are preoccupied by cares, Martha. Now what are these cares for you and me that might become thorns? They may well be legitimate things that we ought to give time and attention to. Our work. Our work matters. Money matters. We give attention to our money. Our home. We want our home to be orderly and tidy and reasonably clean. The food we need to buy and to prepare. The clothes we need to buy and to wash and to dry and to put away. Family concerns, health concerns, lots of things. But this is the danger. We begin to become dominated by them. They assume an overblown, disproportionate amount of our attention. They begin to define us. They begin to dominate us. They begin to take over us. We become identified by them. They crowd everything else out. They suck healthy spiritual desire out of our hearts. These things happen. They happen to me. They happen to you. We must watch. And then Jesus mentions riches and pleasures of life. There are particular temptations for Christians who are rich. And pretty much every Christian in our own country today is a very, very rich Christian by the world's standards. And that is a source of great temptation and distraction. Our eyes and minds and hearts are drawn aside by all sorts of glittering attractions. I want to have this. I want to go there. I want to do this. These little things, they become distractions, don't they? In all sorts of ways. The things we can do with our screens, the the things we can watch, the things we can buy, the social media we can spend hours on, wasting, frittering away our time, the, the games we can play. They, they, they assume an idol-like status in our minds. We, we can't be separated from our phones, can we? Oh, perish the thought of that. Now, why is this so serious? I, I like my phone. I don't want to be parted from my phone. I want my phone. I, I need my phone. I think I don't want my phone to disappear. But the trouble is that when these things become overinflated in our affections, the result of it is immaturity. We become half-grown, half-baked, partially formed Christians. We may well be found in churches, but we don't bear fruit. Our minds are elsewhere. We're living for something else. 
We know we should be better, but we don't really want to be. We're ever learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Deep down, we love the world more than we love God. We are dominated by our darling sins, as Paul Williams said a few weeks ago. We never master them. We never conquer them. We become disappointing, flaky, stunted, half-hearted, weakly compromised Christians. Christians. Christians in profession. Christians who claim to be Christians. Are we real Christians? The final day alone will determine that. But such who are choked by these thorns are those who do not attain to maturity. They do not bear fruit. This is a bad place to be. This is a perilous place to be. Are you there now, tonight? Am I there tonight? Am I a hypocritical preacher who may preach twice on Sunday, but deep down inside, I am a stunted, half-hearted Christian man? Many preachers over the years have been exactly that. God deliver us from that. But there's a fourth type, isn't there? The diligent. Look at verse 15, our final verse. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Here is an acid test, it seems to me, of a real Christian. If Sheila Arthur were here, she would smile at my mention of an acid test or a flame test, a chemical test. You test what is genuine, pure substance in the lab. You apply an acid, see what the reaction is, what gas it gives off, and you work out what chemical it might be. Well, here is a spiritual acid test. Apply this test to yourself. And I suggest to you that this will determine whether you are a Christian or not, and I mean that. If, as you read and hear verse 15, your response in your heart is, I want to be that one. I want to be that good soil. I want to bear fruit. I want to be mature. That is my desire. If that is how you respond, then it seems to me that you are a true believer. But if your reaction is, oh, no, don't care, not interested, then most probably you are not a believer. You're not a Christian. Because what do these people do when they hear the word? Jesus says, they hold it fast. They hold it tight. It's a strong verb, which means they hold something so closely, so tenaciously, that they never want to let it go. They say of the word of God, this is my most prized possession. As we said this morning with the children, preachers may come and go, pastors may come and go, even churches may rise and fall, but this word of God will never pass away. 
And the true Christian says, yes, my Bible, the Word of God, it's precious to me. It's essential to me. It's the Word of life to me. It tells me what I need to know and believe and do to be saved. It's everything to me. The Savior in the pages is everyone, everything to me. The Word of God, the Word of Christ is life to me, blessing to me, salvation to me. By this Word I live. By this word I grow. By this word I bear fruit. What fruit? The God-honoring fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because the one who belongs to this type of soil will treasure the word of God will want to be where that word of God is found. In private and in public. We'll prioritize time for that word to be read and heard. We'll receive the word of God, as the Apostle Paul says, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Now let me at this point add something that needs to be said. Are there not times in the life of genuine Christians where there are fluctuations in our spiritual appetite? Yes. I speak from my own experience. There are times when I can be so tired and distracted in whatever reason it may be that I find it very hard to open my eyes to read or to close my eyes to pray. And you know what that may feel like. But we're talking here about the general tenor and character of a person's life. That when you ask them the question, and they're in a sane and in a good place, you say, do you want to hear the word of God? Do you love the word of God? And the true believer says, yes, I do. It's my life. It's my salvation. It's where Christ is. It's where... I read of how I can be saved. Notice what the text in verse 15 says. It speaks about an honest and good heart. And the picture that comes to mind is soil which is continually, regularly weeded and cleared so that any thorns or thistles or weeds of any kind are pulled out by the roots to give maximum encouragement for the crop to grow, for the seed to grow. So what is this honest and good heart like then? It means that you and I, we know how so easily left to our own devices, the thorns and weeds so easily grow back and entangle the good crop. We know that. We know that we need to be diligently pulling up those weeds. So what do we do? What should we do, friends? Keep short and regular accounts with God. Receive the seed. 
Receive the word regularly. Make it your weekly diet in the church of God that you come and you hear the word of God and daily open the word of God to feed your own soul. But more than that, examine your soul for sins that are like weeds and thorns. And make a habit of praying as David prayed in Psalm 139. Here's a prayer for everyone to pray every day if we can. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And look at these people. Verse 15. They bear fruit with patience. That's what they have, patience. An impatient gardener, an impatient farmer will be very, very unsuccessful. And we need to learn patience. It takes time for a crop to grow. And my last application with which I finish is this. It's very easy for us to read this parable And our automatic response can be one of introspection. And we start asking ourselves, am I bearing fruit? Am I bearing fruit? Am I fruitful? How much fruit am I bearing? Can I weigh my fruit? Can I count my fruit? Am I a 30, a 60, or a 100, or far less than that? What am I? How much fruit am I bearing? Now, that is not what we should be doing. Because those who bear fruit are not asking themselves how much fruit they're bearing. No, those who bear fruit hear the word of God and hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Your need and my need daily, regularly is to feed on the word of Christ with patience with steadfastness. Like the farmer who looks over his fields over the course of a whole year, so we need to take a long-term view of things. You and I have bad days and off days. Of course we do. But it's not always like that. And the general desire and conduct of our lives and hearts should be this. Lord, feed me. Lord, teach me. Lord, I open your word. And for me and for my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord God, give the growth. Bring forth the fruit. Make Grove Chapel and other churches round about us flower beds and fields and allotments where the crop is growing up. And bearing fruit, fruit that will last to the praise and glory of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I've been very plain with you tonight. Come back to God, turn to him, and pray that prayer of David, that the Lord should search your heart
and find any offensive way within you and me and lead us in the way everlasting. We'll pray together. Lord, the growth, the power, the fruitfulness is not of us. We cannot generate fruitfulness ourselves. Which of us, O Lord, has a good and honest heart by nature? None of us do. But when we hear the word of Christ and believe that he is the Savior of all who seek him, then, O Lord, we know that you come by your Spirit and you dwell in our hearts and you change us and you make your home within us. O Lord, may we want that more than anything because we know that apart from you we can do nothing. You are the vine. We are the branches. Lord God, we can't grow alone. Lord, if there are any poor souls here tonight who are trying to grow alone, who are trying to grow in isolation, who are trying to improve themselves and better themselves by their own exercises, by their own efforts, Lord, remind them, remind us all that there is no growth and no life and no salvation for any of us at all except in Jesus. Make him precious to us. Lord, help us to cry from the depths of our souls, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, come to me. Lord Jesus, make your home in me. Lord, make your word come into my heart and take residence there. Our Father, our Savior, we come now and pray that you would know the desires of every heart. And come speedily and bring that growth that we need. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, let's finish our services for the day with our final hymn now.